Bibles and open them to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, as the choir finds their places. Thank you for being ready to sing that. Exodus chapter 3. You'd be amazed, we generally, I know over the last several years, certainly, we have included that song, Holy Bible Book Divine, during our uh, conference time. And you'd be amazed at the number of guests we've had, either missionaries been up here or sitting out here when we start or someone beside me on the platform that will say to me, I don't know that song. I'm not, I'm not known that. It's a great song. And so there it is. It's, it's in hymn books and some of the men have hymn books that have that in it, but it's a song that's not sung as often. And I think that it's a great song great song of heritage. Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert. I don't know why that phrase always arrests my attention. Desert sounds forlorn and empty enough. Backside of the desert. It's about out there as far as you're going to go. And to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land, and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me. I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh." that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. That is a familiar account for people who've been around the Bible very much. And uh, it has a lot in it. And I want to speak to you from this passage tonight on the subject of the, the declaration of the deliverance. The declaration of the deliverance. This is a uh, phenomenal thing that was getting ready to start. And if you're reading is I hope you're taking advantage of the readings. I know many, many of you are that we're putting out each month here at the church. And it's a refreshing thing. Each month we begin new. We'll be doing that for July also. But 
you've been reading in and through this passage, and of course uh, now a little further on there in Exodus, and it's amazing, isn't it, how when Moses first went, how the Israel, the, the, the elders of the people of Israel didn't listen to him. They got angry at him because Pharaoh's first response was not to let the people go, but it was to make their life worse. And uh, this is not part of the message tonight, but I thought it was worth your considering that sometimes things get worse right before deliverance gets there. And uh, their situation got worse. You know, Sometimes people who are hardened in sin will become more rebellious and more hardened if they're a lost sinner, more hardened seemingly towards the Gospel before the light breaks through. Some people who are actually God's people but living in a backslidden condition and a, and a carnal worldly state, they will become a little more honorary, a little more uh, hard, a little, a little, little, little further out there before their heart breaks towards the Lord, and uh, so that's not, it's not a, not a thing that's strange, and and that's what happened here. But he went in, and Moses is told by God there's some declarations about what God wants to do to deliver His people. Something's going to happen here, and nations going to be born in a day, and some phenomenal things with that. And so, would you pray together with me, and then let's let's look at this just a few minutes this evening, Father, help me to. Stay exactly on what you have for your people. And Lord, I know right when you brought my mind to this, and, and Lord, I believe it's for tonight, I pray you'll help me to deliver it clearly, right exactly proportionally the way you want it, and to help our minds to be towards you through your word. I ask in Christ's name. Amen. I want you to look at some things with it, especially in verses 7 and 8. Let's review those again. Look at that, please. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. Taskmasters. <laughs> You'll hear me tangle that word up a lot. For I know their sorrows, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place, and then he names the different, the different uh, nationalities that are there and such with it. Four words I want you to get here. Very, very, very brief at the beginning. He declared some things about deliverance. God said in a declarative way, He said, here's how I'm going to deliver. Here's why I'm going to deliver. Here's your words. They're from the text there. First one is the word or the phrase, I have seen. He said that. That's, that's there in the Scripture. He said there, uh, verse, uh, verse 7, I have surely seen. So mark that down. He said, I've seen. Declaration of God's deliverance is God sees the need that's there. God knows it's there. Don't you think that uh, if we've got sense enough to know that our nation needs help, that God knows it needs help? He saw it. He saw, the, saw where His people were. By the way, He saw people who were crying out to Him. He has to see that. It's amazing and a telling thing in the Scripture when God actually says that He saw it. For a man among them. For a man, a single person, to make up the head, stand in the gap. He talked about when the defense of, uh, spiritual defense of Israel was broken down and he was looking for one person who would actually step up and, and, and seek God. He's looking for one. And uh, he's doing that. So he's looking, seeing what's going on. He says, I have seen. That's part of the deliverance. God sees it. Uh, he knows its needs there, he knows what's going on with it. Uh, it's not hidden from the Lord. Then he said, if you'll look further, he said, I've heard. 
So he saw, God sees, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro on the earth, beholding the evil and the good. He knows what's going on. Second thing is, he said, I've heard. God's listening. He hears all things. Do you know the Bible says that we shall give account for every idle word we speak? I'll let that sink in for a minute. Every idle word. Even the things where nobody, no human ears hear it. God says, He says, I hear. Do you know He hears the cry of someone's uh, words out to Him when nobody else can hear? And uh, God's listening. He's listening for a certain thing from His people tonight. He said, I have heard. Then, He goes on, there's another one, talking about the declaration of His deliverance. He said, I'm going to deliver my people. And He tells Moses, He said, I've seen. He said, I know what's going on. You know, Moses had seen it, hadn't he? Remember that when he was called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and then he got up 40 years of age and refused to be called that. But he saw the bad situation. We've got a this uh, new holiday they've come up with. Um, has to do with the Emancipation Proclamation. Bring this slip, that sort of thing. Of course, they weren't all free at that time. But it set the tone of things. It's, it's a very important document, certainly. Um, but this, this holiday, dealing with this thing and saying, okay, here, this thing's supposed to be commemorating or whatever the, uh, uh, the fact that this step was made. God said, uh, he said, uh, he said, I've seen what's going on. And he said, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to, to see my people respond to me properly. Then he said, I've heard. He said, I'm aware of this. And he said, I know. He said, I know what it's like. Well, Moses, when he saw the situation, he came down and got in among the slaves, remember, and saw the Hebrew there, and the Egyptian was smiting him. I don't think he was just smacking him. I mean, it seemed to be full on. Moses must have had some real strength about him physically. Um, you see several things that indicate that. Of course, when he was 120 years old, his natural force was not abated. He was as strong then as he had been as a young man. His eye was not dimmed. So at, when you're at 120 and you're still physically vigorous, you're an unusual human specimen. But you remember he, uh, uh, when, when he <laughs> ended up with his wife was he had delivered her and her sisters from the, uh, from the other shepherds that wouldn't let them water their flocks and stuff. And it said Moses stood up for him, And he just ran everybody else off. There was something about him. But here he was, and he went down there and he saw this, this Egyptian beating on or smiting this, this uh, Hebrew and, and he killed him. Just killed him. And buried him in the sand. I remember reading about that. Well, um, God said, I know what they're going through. He said, I know what they're going through. He said, I understand it. And God knows that. you got to understand when God brings deliverance because God knows what's going on. Um, I'm taking Mr. Short home today and I not revealed that we were just discussing some things and she had mentioned something today was a, uh, a little bit of a tougher day for her just in missing uh, Brother Short. And we were talking about some things with that and... Uh, I said, Mr. Short, I said, I have no idea about that. I said, I, I can't comprehend it. I said, I've been with people I care about who've been through this, but that's not at all the same. And I make no, no pretense of trying to say, oh, I understand or I know something like that. And she's just not in a smart way at all. She just said, no, you, you really don't. And I said, no, I don't. I don't know that. But God knows. He actually knows. Amazing. He knows the things we've been through. 
and can enter into it like nobody else can. And so he did that. And then look what he says. So here's the declaration. He said, I've seen. God sees. God knows what's going on. God knows what's going on in your life. He said, I've heard. God will hear you. Sometimes you don't think He is, but that doesn't mean He's not. He said, I know. And then He said, I am come. And uh, I'll talk more about that in verse 8 in a little while, but He said, I am come. And so what He did was, He came to where the need was. Now, it's interesting. (laughs) God does not show up in a physical presence until later. And that'll be when it's the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. And He shows up with that. I mean, obviously the plagues are there, but He Himself showing up in that physical manifestation shows up when the children of Israel are right against the Red Sea and the Pharaoh's army is coming in on them. But you understand when He's going to deliver them, God said, I'm come down. And when He came down to deliver them, He said, Moses, you're going for me. So the way God effected His deliverance and initiated it was through a person. It's always the way He does things. It's part of the greatness of God that He can take something as frail and fragile as we are as people and as flawed as we are. I mean, you know, you remember, don't you, that Moses argued with him? <laughs> I can't do this. Nope. Wrong man for the job. Who am I? Why is Pharaoh going to listen to me? I mean, when Moses had left Egypt. He was wanted for murder. And he's going to go back, walk into Pharaoh, and say, let your entire slave economy go? And when he first gets there, the Hebrews won't listen to him. He comes and said, God sent me. And they're like, you're right. You know, he asked the question at one point, why hast thou sent me? That not delivered them at all. He goes to God and says, why would you send me here? Nothing's happening. Everything Moses did at the beginning did not seem to yield fruit. But God was using a man to do God's work. And God was using a man to be the deliverer. Not that Moses was the one who had the power of deliverance, but he was the one who was sent to do that. God does that. Later on, another deliverer, much greater than Moses, will come. His name's Jesus Christ. And the Bible says he's a prophet like unto Moses. And so he'll come and he delivered us. And when God delivered us, the final and great deliverance, it came through the form of a man. And so that's a neat thing. Now let me say this to you and pay attention to this. God desired to deliver them both spiritually and situationally. Well, I hope you get this. God desired to deliver them both spiritually and situationally. They had picked up and were picking up a lot of bad things in Egypt. Show up later when they made a golden calf. Why'd they do that? Because they've been in Egypt all those years. They had many Egyptian ways about them. God was delivering them spiritually, separating them unto Himself. The Bible puts it this way. They were baptized unto Moses in the sea and in the cloud. They were separated out and identified as God's people. Now wait a minute. We know that. Um, They received the commandments. They went back to Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, which is a peak in Mount Horeb, which is the mountain area. And they went back to that area and received the law of God. And here's how God's people are supposed to live, what they're supposed to do. Here's how you're to be governed as a nation. The institution of worship. and The tabernacle was set up where they could come to the presence of God. All these things were there so they, they could worship their God. Uh, he would be among them, which is what God's always wanted to do. In fact, that's what Jesus said. We would be with Him. That's God's desire. 
And uh, he, uh, he had these things happen, but when he was doing this, God was delivering them, but he was de- delivering them situationally too. I put down this statement, and it was important to me that I got it right doctrinally. I put down the statement, they could not stay in Egypt and function fully as God's people. They needed to be changed situationally. They could not physically stay in Egypt and function as God's people. They were not allowed to sacrifice. What did we learn? Do you remember what we learned when we were reading about Joseph? How did the, how did the Egyptians view shepherds? What did they say they were? It's abomination. For the Egyptians, the, the shepherds are abomination to the Egyptians. And so... These people are going to be sacrificing. Part of what they're going to be sacrificing are sheep, that sort of thing. And what they were going to do was an offense to the Egyptians. They could not function as God's people in Egypt. Just like you and I cannot function as worldly people. You can't function spiritually properly if you live as a worldly person, as a person who lives for the flesh and the the temporary. You, no different in your habits and your appetites and your things than those around you who don't even know the Lord. You're not functioning properly as a Christian. You can't do it. And so they couldn't function properly in Egypt. Secondly, neither would coming out of Egypt alone make them fully His. Parallel of that carries over. The people will adopt certain behavior patterns and and uh, avoid others, and it may be a good thing that they've adopted, it may be a good thing they've avoided, but doing that alone will not make you fully operating as God's people. Because here's what would happen. They got out of Egypt, but they turned right around just not many days after that and made a golden calf. Stripped their clothes off, listened to the rock music, it sounded like war from a distance. You don't have any kind of God's music that sounds like war from a distance. But they had music that was supposed to be worship music sounded like warfare from a distance. You go figure it out. And they were doing this lewd, just like like Egypt. It happened so quickly. While Moses was up getting the commandments from God. Another time, 23,000 of them died in one day because of the fornication things they went into. Another time, the, the, this, the fiery serpents, poisonous snakes had to be sent among them. They got right up to the promised land and accused God of wanting to kill their children. Now, think about these things. And here's a summary of that kind of behavior that the Bible gives so we don't have to wonder about it. It says they turned back once and again in their hearts to Egypt. So they could not function fully as God's people, as a separate people unto God in Egypt. They couldn't do it. They were a slave people there. They were a slave people, which is not God's design for His people. Then, once they got out, they were not fully operating as His as long as all they did was get out of Egypt. They needed to get Egypt out of them. And the only way they were going to get Egypt out of them was by worshiping God. Do you realize an entire generation 
was lost that didn't have to be because of this? An entire, think about it. 20 years and upward, the ones that were able to go to war were not, never went into the promised land. Entire generation lost the opportunity they had. Why? The Bible says because of their unbelief, they would not follow God. They, they, they would not believe on God. They, they, they were no longer in Egypt, but their heart was in Egypt. Every time something would go wrong, they'd want to go back to Egypt. Every time something would go on, they'd say, well, we shouldn't have come out. Every time something would go wrong, they'd start blaming Moses. You brought us out! And, of course, like people who still have Egypt in their heart, they had very faulty memory. Oh, do you remember how good the food was? Oh, do you remember we were never hungry? Their real situation, the Bible says, was so severe that God heard their continual groaning. They were born slaves. They were going to die slaves. Their children had no future. They were going to die as menial workers building treasure cities using their ingenuity, their engineering, their physical labor to build someone else's wealth. They had no future, no hope. They were treated just as animals. And yet, because Egypt didn't get out of them, they got out there and they'd run into trouble along the way. Or God would chasten them over something, trying to purify them so that they could follow Him better. And the response would be, oh, we, we had it made down in Egypt. Like people say, well, I'll tell you what, there's more real friends and faithful people down at the bar than there is in the church. I've heard some backslidden folks talk that way. Is that right? Well, I could start enumerating why that's not so. Well, they're just good old boys. They care about each other. They give you the shirt off their back and might knife you the next move too. It's not, it's not glamorous and good. Crazy, man. They need to get the world out of them and they had to get out of there, but that's a deliverance. It was uh, spiritual and situational. God wants to get you out of situations that will destroy you and uh, things that will ruin you. Uh, the sooner we know that, the better. Uh, I saw something today. It will be here for tomorrow. We have the little piece to take care of it. And it's not a danger tonight, but I saw where, uh, where a plug cover got shattered at some point. It's uh, just something new that I noticed. And uh, I'll be cared for tomorrow. Now, tonight, it's not anywhere where there will be interaction or a problem with it. It's already been done this afternoon. You say, well, why would you make sure that's cared for? Because that thing with that, that cover broken where it is, some little finger could get in there. So why would they do that? Because they're kids and that's what they do. And that's even though when we do the wiring stuff, then you tape around it, there's still 110 volts in that thing. What does that mean? It's a danger. Well, don't you know, a pastor of your church, I'm getting little kids. I mean, one of my boys sticks her finger in it. Well, God bless you. You're just weird, man. Um, why are you doing that for? I don't think your finger would fit in there, actually. Well, Warren's might, but you have curly hair when you get done. But the. Um, but. Why? Because there's some people here I care about. I don't want. I, I don't want that danger. Look, I don't want that danger there for them. And you know me. I'm not ultimate fussy. I think. I think you got a boy about that big doesn't have a bruise somewhere on his forehead. He's probably just not living right. Yeah, especially when they're about the same height as the tables. Um, 
<laughs> or just a little shorter than their sister. Um, that's equally dangerous. But well, there's something over there that's dangerous. Don't you know God's that way with His people? He keeps us away from things. He keeps us from things that will destroy us. He doesn't keep back anything that's good. God never has kept back something that's good for His people. He doesn't do that. That's not what He does. That that's not what He delights in doing. He delights in being a good father to us. And so, we have these things. Consider these different things about it. I want to show you these. and uh, They do follow an order, but, but they'll seem almost like they're hitting piece by piece. But I'm showing you about the deliverance here. Uh, it's some interesting things. Look in verse 3. It says, And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush is not burned. Now, on God's side, God said, I've seen, I've heard, I know, and I've come down. But I want you to see something about the deliverer and what God did here and how He, uh, how, how he worked with him and about the deliverance. First of all, I put this down on that one. When Moses said, I'll turn aside and see this great sight, I put down, uh, he called Moses when Moses showed interest in what God was doing. When he saw that he turned aside to see, God watched to see what Moses would He didn't call Moses to get his attention to come to the bush. He had the bush burning. Moses sees it. He looks at it. It's, you know, it's not consuming. And he says, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. He said, I want to know why that's happening. When God saw that he was curious about what God was doing, then God called him by name. Said, You're who I'm looking for. Because you want to know what I'm doing. God's looking for some people who want to know what God's doing. Not in a belligerent, bratty sort of way. What are you doing? Not that stuff. What is God doing? What's God's hand in this? What's God's purpose in this? Looking to find out what's going on. Um, it's, uh, it's a wonderful thing if you have something wherewith you could teach somebody or help somebody and they show an interest in, in knowing. They show an interest in learning. That's a wonderful thing. Hey, what about this? Hey, hey why is this? Could you help me with this? And they really want to know. It's very enjoyable then to be able to help them. God, right now, among our congregation, of course, we have more congregation than what's here tonight. That would be true any given service. But you tonight, because you're hearing this. And I can mention that maybe you ought to listen. And of course, you have the capacity. You don't have to miss any of the preaching. I can mention that, you know, next service or whatever, hey, get hold of this. It'll help you understand something. But very few people will do that when it's suggested. So you're here tonight. And I'm telling you by what God shows in His Bible, God's looking for some people who are looking for Him. God's looking for you to have some initiative. It was a thing down in eastern Kentucky way and had a little bit of it up where we grew up because of the people coming up from that area. But I really ran into it when I was down in that area down back near where my mom's home area was preaching and so many and stuff down there. I ran into it extremely. Now, it was some up in our area, and here was it. Well, you know, God ain't called me yet. He'd be talking to somebody about their soul. Waiting for God to call. They are talking about waiting for that call. What are you talking about with it? They didn't know what they were talking about with it. 
but it, it was just a regional thing that somehow God would overwhelm you with some kind of call and then you'd know that you know He wanted to save you. That was a weird distortion of Calvinism or what it was. It was just weird. It doesn't work that way. God puts things out there to catch your attention all the time, but do you, do you have a curiosity about Him? Are you curious enough to check it out? Um, he was interested in that. Second thing, um, look in verse 5. That's a familiar verse. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoe from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. I, I put this down with this. Not only did he call Moses when he saw Moses was interested in what God was doing, but he established to Moses that he was going to be doing some holy walking. He said, Moses, you're entering into something sacred here. You're going to be doing some holy walking. I'm going to be using you. You're going to be taking some steps that are holy steps. And he said, I want you to get prepared for that. And he did that. And then verse 14, I like this very well. Look how he describes himself. Verse 14, And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. He identified himself as the eternal God. We've got to figure out who we're serving. If God's with us, then we can do what we ought to do. If God's with us, then we can be who we ought to be. Not a mystery, not a hope. So, well, I hope I make it. No! No! Do what God says. And, well, preacher, I see very little successful Christianity. I see very little serious Christianity that actually changes behavior because of what the book says. I mean, this book's treated like nothing. It's just over here. And I'm talking about the Bible believing church. It's over here. I have quoted a few verses. And you adhere to the ones you think, okay, but you don't really check it out to make it change your life. You can't play around with it and have it actually be a power in your life. I can't. You can't. I made a statement which I would not retract in any way or step back from. There are no two people married where both people are living as Christian people should towards each other that ever has to end in divorce. Never. Not where both parties will actually live just in accordance to what this says to do. Not how you feel about it, but just doing what you're supposed to do. If the wife will be the wife and do, uh, be a Christian lady as, as the Bible describes it, if the man will be a Christian man and do as the Bible describes it, both parties. One or the other, we mess it all up. That's the thing about marriage. That's why it's a, it's a blessed and fragile thing. Either one can mess that thing all up. Generally, it's never just one. It can be. I've seen it. But it's rare. But you can't go halfway through and do halfway what the Bible says to be and then say, well, I don't know. God's not answering. What do you mean God's not answering? God's told us how we're supposed to be. And so it is that he, God identified Himself as the eternal God. Who are we serving? We're really dealing in a generation where God's people are letting the news people tell you that things can't be done anymore and that it's hopeless. First of all, why are you listening to that garbage? Seriously, it's poison. You know, you'll pick up more of it by accident than what you want. There's some people just listen to it all the time. You can tell by the way they talk. You can tell how they respond to things. 
That's not news, man. It's brainwashing. It's nonsense. Tell you, you know, you listen to them, you think everything's over. It's not. Do you know how fast God can take somebody down and out of any position? Do you know how long He can keep them there until people learn what they're supposed to learn? That'll make you fear God right there. He identifies Himself as the eternal God. Who we serve? We serve the same God who's been around forever. And He's still powerful. And so, this is deliverance I'm talking about. And then I love it. Look in verse 12. I know I'm backtracking verses there, but I wanted to do it that way for, for the emphasis here. Look at verse 12. And he said, certainly, this is God, certainly I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain, which he ends up doing. And the reason why God said that to him was because of Moses's he was right that he wasn't adequate to the task. Moses was not adequate in and of himself. And he recognized that in verse 11. Look what it said there. Moses said unto God, Who am I? That's a valid question. Who am I that I should go into Pharaoh? And that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? He's right. Who was he? He wasn't. He in and of himself was not the deliverer of his own Capacities. And God says to him, He said, I'm going to go with you. You understand, Moses, I'm not sending you to do this alone. Really not. And uh, he, he promised to be with Moses when he went. I like that about God's deliverance that He'll be with you for whatever He sends you to do. He'll help you. He really will. You'll feel overwhelmed at times with different things in life and that's not... It's not an uncommon thing, of course, but it's uh, God's with you. Just stay on the right track. Follow Him. Keep it simple. Keep following the Lord. He'll be glad that you did. And then I take you back just a few more verses and I want to talk to you about the purpose of the deliverance. We've seen that God said, I've seen, I've heard, I know, and I've come. And then we see these different things that He said to Moses and showed Him. And then I want you to see what God's purpose said in deliverance. So what's God's purpose in delivering us? Causing us to know Him. Verse 8, For I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good land and a large and a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, His purpose was to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. That was one part of it. And so, not... Diminishing that. His another purpose was to physically bring them to this land which He had promised Abraham and his descendants. But if you want to distill down what God does and what He still does, look at these two phrases found right there at the beginning of verse 8. I have them marked in my Bible. I am come down. You see those four words? That's the second, third, fourth, and fifth word in the verse. I am come down. And then go down through the sentence to bring them up. If you want to put it down to a simple distilled term, not that discounting the rest of the verse, but he said this, he said, my purpose, I am come down to bring them up. I am come down to bring them up. That is an explanation of what God has always done with His deliverances. He comes down to where we are. He doesn't diminish who He is. He does not soil who He is 
but he comes to our level. I'll give you a very practical thing that happens with that. Perhaps your heart gets uh, stirred up or maybe convicted about being a biblical Christian. You say, okay, I need to know my Bible better. Maybe you've been leaving it unread. Maybe you've read through it once or twice in your life and you think you've, <laughs> you think you've got it down. And, uh, and so it's been setting aside and uh, you've not been active in it. But then you, you see that you, that's not a good way to be and so you start... Start getting in the Bible some. You start looking at things. Maybe you start through our readings we're doing, or maybe your own, you're doing something. Here's how it happens God will help when you set yourself to learn from the Bible and you're, you're determined in your heart to, to have a change of behavior and, and, and it strengthen and grow you. God will start showing you things. The book changes in, in relationship to you, it doesn't change what it is. For some people, the Bible is a very boring book because it actually has no interaction within their life. For other people who are actually seeking God, things open up to them. And they're like, oh, that's how that fits. And that's what God wants to do with each of you. That's not a particular thing for a certain age or a certain group or anything like that or a certain vocation of life. That's as much for the, as the carpenter as it is for the preacher. That's as much for the plumber as it is for the missionary. That's as much for the stay-at-home mom as it is, is for the evangelist. God wants to open His book to you. And when you do this, you find out what God says. I've come down. Here's what I did. He's given us a book. He gave this book. These are His words. He oversaw and made sure it was preserved so we have it. And He said, I've come down. Why? So I can bring them up. Everything about this will bring you up. Everything about this will bring you up. Higher. Your interaction with God, if you truly are involved with God, will make you better and stronger than what you were. It'll make you cleaner, more holy in your love towards God. God comes down to bring us up. There's a lot of our songs, aren't there? From hymns to spiritual songs and such. Hymns, spiritual songs, psalms that center around that very thing that God came down to bring us up. It's a continual theme in the Bible. God wants to bring us up. He wants to change the way we think. He wants to do it to such a degree that He chose to use the word to transform us by the renewing of our mind. It's interesting that we're renewing is the idea of what God's going to do one day where there's a new heaven and a new earth. It is a time of regeneration of all things. It is that renewing. It is that word. It is that thing that he's talking about there. That literally, you can become one who thinks as one who is renewed. It transforms what you did. It changes the way you go about things. <laughs> I've mentioned this before, but you ever seen a situation where there's some kind of sport, sporting thing going on? And you can tell when one of the teams is done, they're, they're beaten. You can tell sometimes by a sideline or, or where, they're, where the people are and they get this look. They get behind and some teams do it right away. I mean, they get behind just a little bit and you can see and they're more or less, it's over. The way they walk out on the field, if it's football or something, the way they walk out on the court, whatever. Uh, the way the way they address the ball, if they're a golfer, you can go a little thick. Anyway, um, that's how they address the ball. But it's uh, they, the way they do. You know, you can tell their their whole demeanor is just 
Well, that's over. I'm beat. What's really bad is when the coaches act up. You see, the coaching staff. Yeah. Send out resumes. This is over, you know. Can I say to you, God never leads us that way. He leads us to deal with the realities of life, not some kind of nonsense stuff where we act like everything's wonderful. But He comes down to bring us up. He, he wants you and I to think differently and higher. He wants us to live differently and higher. He wants us to get sick of what sin and the degradation of sin does in our lives. Not just being angry at somebody else's transgressions. He doesn't want you to accept the tattered, torn up, filthy look of this world. In your actions, in your vocabulary, in your apparel, and all. He said, You're away from it, I want to bring you up. God always brings you up, brings you somewhere higher, shows you something better. And as you follow God, He'll constantly be challenging you to grow and to go forward and not to be satisfied just to be mediocre, but to become. Someone who can honor God with all of their life. It won't be a frenzy, frantic thing that's self-destructive where you end up beating yourself down over it. Oh, I'm just not measuring up. No, 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 no. What Bible growth does is it lets us realize, you know, God found me here. He's taught me this. He's my God. He's not going to abandon me. I'm secure in Him. And because of Him, However long He gives me, whatever days He gives me, I can serve God. No matter what anybody else chooses to do, no matter what anybody else comes at me with, my God will bring me up. May God give us courage and boldness in that. May God help us not to be defeated in our minds but to realize that our God is victorious. Maybe read Romans 8 and believe what it says. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And in the areas where it seems like we're defeated sometimes, in all these things we can be victorious if we'll just obey the Lord. Challenges study sometimes if you want to do it. It's not a short study, but just as you read through, notice. In the Old Testament, see if you can find a place anywhere, because you really won't where Israel was defeated and captured by an enemy or overrun by an enemy, find any time that that happened while they were being obedient to God. You will not find one instance. doesn't matter how big of a nation came against them. doesn't matter how outnumbered they were. When they were obedient to God, they were never defeated. Guess when they got taken captive, scattered, and all that? When did they do it? When did it happen? Every time. When they went away from their God. Well, I learned something from that. Stay close to the Lord. The declaration of deliverance, God said, I've seen, I've heard, I know. And He said, I've come down, life to bring you up. That's what God wants to do for you. And He will do it for you. Some of you have already seen Him do it in so many areas. That same God will help you. You've seen Him work before. Think about it. 
You've seen Him take care of you. You've seen what He can do. You've known His presence. Now, don't be afraid of being bold and trusting Him now. God will help you. Let me pray with you tonight. All right, Father, thank you for your people, the truth of your word, and the fact that we could hear it tonight. Help us, Lord, to be a people who trust you. I want to be a man who trusts you. I want to be a pastor who trusts you and feeds your people properly because of that trust. God, I pray you'll help us to do as we ought to do. Guide us as a church in each step of what we ought to do so that we can be what you want us to be in your hands here as a church congregation, as a, as a group of people, that we can make a difference for you in this dark, dark town. Help us, Lord, to love you and to be close to you, please, I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together, please, if you will. I have a song invitation. Come and talk to the Lord about it. Come rest in Him tonight. Ask Him to guide you. Maybe there's something particular. Now you're the one why this message was put on my heart so declaratively that you could seek Him.